Welcome to the Connection Chat Podcast, where we talk about all things mental health. We believe that connecting with others through honest conversation is our greatest tool in breaking down the stigma that is often associated with mental illness. Today, we're going to be having one of those conversations. Thank you for listening. Let's get started. Okay. Hey, Adri. Hi, Lauren. I'm so glad that you're on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. So guys, today we have Adri and we worked in the call center together and I told her, I was like, you got to be on the podcast. You're going to do great. I don't care what you want to talk about, but you've got to be on an episode. (laughs) So she reached out and we're going to be actually talking about mental health in the African-American community today, as well as her personal mental health journey. So Adriana is our guest for today, but she goes by Adri. Her current role at Connections Wellness Group is overseeing all medical records for every location, as well as serving as the environmental chairperson for the Denton location. She's been working in mental health since her last semester of undergrad in 2019. She has a master's in health service administration with a focus in rehabilitation studies. She has enjoyed working in mental health because it has allowed her to be more vulnerable, more open-minded, as well as an advocate for those who are struggling with their own mental health. So yes, thank you for being here. Yes, thank you again, Lauren. (laughs) So earlier, Adri mentioned that her favorite word is amazing. And anybody that ever works with Adri or has ever worked with her, honestly, (laughs) I miss working with her a lot, not going to lie. But she is so good at complimenting others and telling them, you're amazing. You're doing amazing. Like every morning. I'm I'm not a morning person, disclaimer. I think I've brought this up in other podcast episodes, actually. But I would come in at 9 in the morning. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Lauren, have an amazing day. Doing amazing. So, yeah, I really miss working in the call center together. And it was just such an amazing team of like all being together. So, yes, yes, yes. yes. And Lauren is amazing too, seriously. Probably one of the sweetest souls I've met. Like, (laughs) Like, out of all the people that I know, probably got to be top two. I would top say two? the top two. Is it me and Like, this is too much pressure. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, I'm telling you, Lauren. I'm telling you. Sweetest person I know. But, yes, I do miss working with you as well. And then, you know, I just think also just starting the day in a positive manner has helped tremendously. And, you know, just complimenting somebody, saying that you're amazing or you're beautiful or you're doing a great job, it can go a long way for them. <laughs> yeah, so um, I told Adri that we can really talk about anything as long as it is under mental health generally. So um, we're going to be talking about mental health in the African-American community as well as her personal mental health journey. So let's get started there. What are some of the biggest barriers to treatment for the African-American community? This is a really good question because um, I've talked to, you know, girlfriends about this and even guy friends about, you know, their mental health journey. And I just feel like with us, it's pretty much just taking that leap of faith to go get the help. Like, even if we know we need it, we're just struggling to kind of just take that leap and to go get the help that we need. And I think that's just because of just how we were raised, you know, Um, it's just based off of you know, any problems that we have, we either talk to mom about it, talk to dad about it. And they kind of just say, well, you know, it's kind of like it's life. And, you know, we weren't raised to go, you know, talk to a therapist or see a psychiatrist. You know, we were known to be like crazy, you know, if that's something that we had to do. But, you know, know, as we get older, we start to realize that stuff from our childhood starts to catch up to us. And we're just like, oh, my goodness, this is like too much. 
Yeah. And trying to face that stigma that you might have experienced in the community of you're crazy if you see a counselor or a psychiatrist. Mm -hmm. Or like um, you can be known as weak if you go see someone Mm -hmm. to open up and talk about your feelings. So. So personally, did you experience those kind of stigmas in your mind as you were going to see a counselor for the first time or working on mental health? Honestly, um, I really didn't know too, too much about mental health until I started working in mental health in 2019. And I'm just so grateful that I did. Um, I know my, you know, everyone's experience is different, but um, just me personally, I think what really opened up for me is, um, you know, after you graduate college, you have that postpartum depression. And I think that really kind of just kicked in for me once I didn't have a constant routine. Mm. And then also too, just kind of just, you know, going home every day with all this time on my hands and just kind of staring at a wall and trying to figure out, well, what's next? You know, what do I need to do? And I think the cherry on top for me was, um, I'm really big on working out, but you know, we all know how hot it gets here in Texas. Um, I was out there running in like 110 degree weather, like not drinking enough water because I'm just trying to keep my mind from like going crazy. Yeah. So, well, I love that you bring that up because I think that's something that society doesn't talk about that much because once people graduate from college, if they had that traditional experience of living in a dorm, living in an apartment near all their friends, near campus, Mm -hmm. it's such a huge life change to go from having that community, having a very structured schedule and really life like your whole life to that point has been getting an education and then once right. you graduate you're thrown on the real world and it's just you do whatever you can exactly exactly so just kind of just taking it you know with a grain of salt and just kind of just putting one step forward just kind of helped me yeah and you know just going to talk to someone so absolutely and what are some things that healthcare organizations can do to reduce racial disparities like health insurance companies this is a great question too, just because of the, you know, healthcare is so big, you know, you know, we automatically get judged of how we look, you know, how we carry ourselves and, you know, the clothes that we wear. So the biggest thing is, you know, we all heard don't judge a book by its cover. You know, African-American person, we're just a regular human being. So just looking at us for kind of what we do and what we can bring to the table instead of judging us based off of, well, you know, what you see in the news and kind of what you heard this person say and this person say, not letting that overpower the individual and who they truly are. You know, we're just teachable, you know, and we can learn just just as good as the next person can. And so I feel like also, too, with, you know, healthcare organizations, corporate organizations, too, just having more African-American leadership on their executive board so that, you know, we have that diversity inclusion. And for those that do want to grow, they're mm-hmm. able to do that. Um, healthcare insurance companies. One thing I do love about Connections is um, we had our EAP program. And for most people that don't know, you know, that's an assistant employee program that'll pay for a certain amount of sessions for therapy for you to get the treatment that you need. Yeah, that's huge because a huge barrier is obviously financial or money to pay for those sessions. So with EAP, you can get some of those covered. Exactly. And that could be like the the first step to help someone get the, you know, the care that they need. Yeah. And with your experience of working with FMLA paperwork and EAP, what are some things that people should know or could look out for if they're wanting to do that themselves. Yeah. So um, FMLA, it's it's a very tedious process. You know, you got to make sure that you're not only 
on the providers, but you got to make sure you're on yourself too, because you're pretty much the middle person to making sure that, you know, the person is able to get the time off of work that they need. And so communicating with the providers and then sometimes even the caseworker that's over their stuff, whenever they're doing FMLA to help the process, you know, go smoother. Mm. It can be a lot sometimes. So, you know, I appreciate the process and the journey. And I, if anybody that is struggling, you know, need to, you know, take that time off of work, short-term disability, long-term disability, I recommend they do take it. You know, it's it's helped a lot of people here. I've seen the growth and people are very appreciative of the mm. process. So, yeah, that's huge. And just anything to help people get treatment that they need. Exactly. Do you think that there's more of a cultural barrier to getting help? Ooh, that's a, <laughs> that's a, a really good question as well. Um, I feel like for African-Americans, you know, it's hard for us to one open up to begin with too, um, just because, you know, we have to find someone that looks like us in all honesty. You know, we can't open up to everybody because not everybody can relate to us in, you know, the certain situations or just, you know, just a cultural thing too. Um, so I think that takes a huge a huge aspect on things, finding someone, you know, that's in network with your insurance, or if you don't have insurance, finding someone that's willing to do either a sliding scale or a decent self pay rate. Um, it's, that's a huge thing. And so even if you do find someone also, I think, you know, trying to get on their schedule because it, you know, most therapists can be booked up until four or six weeks Mm -hmm. out. I know sometimes, you know, we struggle with that too, because someone is so good, but that can be also like a huge cultural barrier that we're kind of hesitant to go get that help because we, well, we want to get the help, but now we still have to wait to get the help. So Yeah. No. And I, I get what you're saying about a therapist having the same cultural experiences as you and somebody mm-hmm. that looks like you, because right. especially if one of the main reasons that you're in therapy is because of generational trauma mm-hmm. or experiences for the color of your skin. Right. If you're talking to a white therapist, of course, they're going to empathize at the best that they can, but they're not going to have experienced that themselves. So they can't truly relate to what you're saying, even though they can try the best they can. It's not necessarily the same. Exactly. Yeah. And with this podcast episode, that's, I don't know, it kind of made me just think of the whole point of this episode is that it may be difficult for some people to hear, or if they see the title of this, they might be like, I don't want to hear about that or mm-hmm. I already know everything I need to know. But the truth is, is that for the people that are living these experiences and these injustices, you can't just turn off an episode or you can't choose to not be informed or listen to it. Like this is everyday life. Exactly. And the biggest thing is, too, I mean, you have to be open minded when it comes to things, especially because the world is changing every day. So, yeah. And then that makes me think of events like police brutality and George Floyd. So um, that brings up the talk that parents feel they need to give to their black sons and daughters. So what are your thoughts on that? Honestly, I mean, it has to be a conversation that that is needed, honestly. I mean, especially at a younger age, you know, that's how, you know, kids look at, you know, their parents, they pick up on everything. And so it's, it's sad to say, but we have to have those conversations at such a young age, you know, um, especially, you know, with everybody getting their driver's license, you know, this is a a fun time or an exciting time for, you know, kids to um, start driving on their own. But just having that fear, you could possibly get pulled over for maybe not even speeding. Let's just say your taillight is out. And then just kind of having that fear that this can go left or it can go right. And so 
parents having to have those difficult conversations like you know police are supposed to be the heroes they're supposed to protect us but there are also some out there that would do things that will hurt you and you know you never know you might not come home one day yeah and so that that's a very difficult um a very sad conversation to have but it's needed it is needed so and talk about anxiety inducing Exactly. For the parents, for the teenagers learning to drive, like just everyone involved. Right. Um, I also think, too, you know, with that being said, with, you know, parents kind of instilling that information into their um, children about, you know, police brutality, the injustice system as well. You know, we don't want to put that fear that if a, a child or African-American child gets into that situation, they're, they're fear and then it just goes right. really wrong. Um, so I think it's it's important to, you know, teach them, but not also steer that fear in them right. so they know what to do in that situation. Yeah. But, you know, even if you do the right thing, you can still end up it going the wrong way, unfortunately. So, yeah, F- trying to find that balance of not invoking too much fear, but wanting them to do the best things that they could in that situation. In that situation. How do we get those who might be self-medicating with food, alcohol, or street drugs, et cetera, to get the help that they need? Well, the biggest thing is, especially what I've learned is, you know, if you want the help, you have to be willing to get it. You can't force anybody to get the help that they want. The biggest thing is just to kind of be the support system there, you know, through their journey, through their process, no matter what it is. You know, and I know that can be very hard for families, um, especially, you know, with drugs. But the biggest thing is just knowing, you know, within yourself, just taking that step of like, okay, you know that you want to get help and, you know, doing everything you possibly can to go get that help. Um, that That is like the number one thing, yeah. in my opinion. This podcast is brought to you by Connections Wellness Group. Be sure to follow us at Connections Wellness Group on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and TikTok for daily content relating to mental wellness. Do you think there's more of a stigma regarding mental illness in the black community? Yes, 110%. Um, I say that because we go through so much on a regular basis, um, not just in our mental state, um, but in our personal and our professional lives. Um, you got to make sure that you're crossing your T's and dotting your I's at all times, especially in the professional field. Um, we have to work 10 times harder to get everything that we need, you know, whether that's a promotion or whether that's us wanting to get a house or getting a car, you know, um, we have to do things to, you know, get out of our comfort zone to make us uncomfortable in order for us to get the things that we want. And I really want to emphasize too, um, you know, black women, we have it 10 times harder, you know, just being a woman in general, I can speak for all women, you know, we're known to be the emotional creatures. And so we kind of look, you know, down upon because we're known to be like the weaker, um, the weaker sex or um, we're just so emotional about everything. But one thing that I've learned as a black woman and just a woman in general is that, you know, it's made me be more vulnerable and it's allowed me to read the room a lot more, especially Mm -hmm. when I'm in those difficult situations or if I'm with a group of friends or even family 
I'm able to, you know, observe everything and kind of just take it in. Yeah. Um, I like to, you know, say that black women are known to shake the tables and be intimidating sometimes because of how intelligent we are. And I want to just shine some light. Got to give a a huge shout out to my grandmother, um, Adrienne Bennett, uh, who I am named after. You know, she's the first African-American master plumber. And, you know, women aren't known to be plumbers. And so she was in a pretty much a male dominant field where they felt like you're one, you're a black woman and you're a woman on top of that. You don't belong here. So she went through a bunch of injustice situations, bullied, talked down upon and um, pretty much tried to kick her out. So she wouldn't be in this industry. And so, you know, her, you know, now she's she's doing amazing. You know, she's able to go to different conferences and talk about her experience and talk about the change, you know, with everything going on. And um, she's able to, you know, shine light on the situation to see the positive on it. So that just comes to show you, you know, if my granny can do it, then, you know, I can do it. And so can the next woman. Yeah, that's so amazing that you have her to look up to and that she really persevered through so many prejudices Mm -hmm. against her exactly and i'm not a hundred percent sure on this but i believe i've read somewhere that the most educated group of people is african-american women i'm gonna vouch for us black women all the time (laughs) i'm gonna say it i'm I'm gonna say it um black women i mean we are amazing women in general we are amazing that's my favorite word amazing (laughs) yes um but i mean you know black women you know we create things we're not afraid to you know take that leap of faith and you know to get challenged about certain things you know we're we're strong and so i got like i said i'm shouting out to all of our black women out there <laughs> you know just thank you for all that you do and just you know continue to push in through with everything that you do yeah and you're highly educated yourself you went and got your masters you're doing yes, it all ma'am. yes ma'am <laughs> that you know my dream is to be a ceo of a healthcare organization one day so I'm doing everything that I can to, you know, get there. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing that I love about Connections is that we really do have a diverse group of people that work here. And whether it's leadership or a psychiatrist, like for the website, I take photos of our new employees for Mm -hmm. new employee orientation. Right. And it was like a month ago. So many African-American women, psychiatrists, counselors, and they were looking around like they had all met each other for the first time. And they were like, wow, this is so cool. Like, I don't think they were expecting that to see so many women that look just like them that Mm -hmm. are highly educated, got their certifications and are working in a higher level of that wasn't possible 50, 60 years ago because of so many laws and rules set against them. Exactly. And I think, you know, that's allowed them to be role models and, you know, the next black young girl to want to be a psychiatrist or even a therapist. So I think, you know, that area or that community has grown so much in that aspect because they know how much we need it. Yeah. And it's so appreciated. And I love seeing it every day. I love checking Connections website every day to see the new um, therapist or the new psychiatrist. Yeah. So. And like you said earlier, tying back to that, it might inspire people to get help that were scared or nervous before. They might be like, you know, this therapist is not going to understand what I'm going through. Mm -hmm. They're not going to know my life experiences. But if they see somebody that looks just like them Mm -hmm. and even around their same age, they might be like, okay, she might get it. Like she looks like me and she might have the same experiences that I've had. Exactly. And since you, you're not a clinician, but since you've been going to counseling and you work in a mental health company, Mm -hmm. what are some recommendations or things that you've learned that people can do to improve their mental health? 
Oh, we. <laughs> <laughs> or is there anything that's helped you? Like, it can be very general. Yeah. Um, so, um, I like I said, therapy, I recommend therapy for everybody, um, no matter the race. It's helped me tremendously, you know, just to talk to someone that's not my mom or my grandmother or even my girlfriends, you know, just to kind of get a, a different opinion on certain things. Um, so, going to therapy for one. Two, I know this is crazy because everyone says, you know, I can't believe you're doing this, but I wake up at 4 a.m. Monday through Friday every single day um, to take the time to meditate, um, to read my word, and to also work out. I know it's not for everybody, but they do say billionaires wake up at 4 a.m. <laughs> but um, it's kind of it's helped me kind of just to start my day off right to also just have my me time and to not get distracted by anything. So that's honestly helped me. And then kind of just doing what you like to do. I love going to the movies um, and hanging out with my girlfriends, you know, whenever I can. So just, you know, not being confined in your space and just, you know, going outside and doing something that you like to do, even if it's by yourself. It's okay to be by yourself, not alone, but by yourself. Yeah. So getting all that self-care in. Mm-hmm. Our ways. <laughs> and hopefully if you're running, now you're drinking water. <laughs> Plenty of it. It is way too hot outside for me not to. <laughs> or run an indoor track somewhere now. Right. <laughs> so yes, 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 yes. Oh my gosh. Well, I do not wake up at four in the morning every day. I can tell everybody that right now. Um, more power to you. I'm glad that works for you. Yes. I don't know. I kind of hope that one day it might just be like a switch and one day... I'll be okay with being a morning person, but right now I'm a night owl to the max. And I'm serious, like my internal clock, like I don't get tired until like 11 or 12. It's crazy, but. Yeah, girl, I'm eight o'clock. All right, y'all, it's time to go. Look, the sun is still out in everything. <laughs> okay, well, maybe you have some tips because I've read so many articles about how to become a morning person, all this, and like nothing has helped me. Like, is there anything special? Like, I'm crying. Please give me help. Honestly, I think I just. <laughs> just going to bed early has helped me too and then also I took your advice though and I actually stopped drinking coffee oh my god yes. <laughs> so um I'm more of a tea drinker now yes. I, do, I do sleep um I use sleepy tea you know the sleepy herbal tea or whatever yeah. at night and um it um also instead of like watching tv right before you go to bed maybe reading a book or meditating because when I wake up I'm not as like drowsy in the yeah. morning but mostly you definitely have to go to bed <laughs> I can a lot to you okay but how do you go to bed that's my question well when you turn your phone and do not disturb and you just make it super dark in your apartment or your home and just kind of just relax I don't know it's kind of just that I'm a normal person here to learn I'm not giving any advice about that because I am scrolling on Twitter at 10 30 at night I'm reading about all the terrible Look, news I'm I'm not going to lie to you. Sometimes I hit the bed at 8.39 because TikTok literally has me up because I'm cracking up. But, um... It's hard. It is hard. But you also, you have to want it to. Like, if you know, like, this is something that you want to, you know, work to, for, you know, toward to. Um, trust me, I didn't just start waking up at 4 a.m. I had to gradually work. Yeah. Okay, 6 a.m., 5.30, 5.15, you know, work mm. my way up there. And it's been okay ever since. I'm not going to lie. You know, once I do meditate and read my Bible, I do kind of go to sleep. <laughs> and then I, I really start my day probably, like, at 5 o'clock. That's when I start working out. Yeah. But, um... 
But that's what's helped me, honestly. No, <laughs> you're right. Like, that kind of hurt. You were like, you have to want it bad enough. And it's like, I don't want it bad enough. I'm on Twitter. Just, it's okay. <laughs> you are not the only person. Everyone just said, like, I don't know how you do that. At 4 a.m., there's just no way. I'm telling you. Like, once you get in the mindset of it, it's nothing. And then also, too, what helps me is I don't have multiple alarms. So I have one alarm. So it's either you going to wake up at 4 a.m. or you going to oversleep and be late oh, for work. I'd be there until 10 a.m. <laughs> They'd be like, she's dead. She's not at work. We don't know her shit. Like, where's going? Not here. Stop. Well, Lisa was able to help with something with the green tea. So, yeah. thank you. Little Shout plug, you Lord. guys. It's going to be in Darren's podcast if you've listened to that one. But I was feeling so anxious from coffee. And yep. green tea has just helped me so much. And, like, I'm one of those people where if five years ago, like, when I was in college, if he told me to give up coffee, I'd be like, who are you? Go right. away. Like, this is my one vice. Okay. Right. But I don't know. It really has helped. So if you listeners are feeling real anxious for no reason, you can talk faster than your brain's <laughs> working. You're feeling real jittery. Yeah. We're about to get sponsored by green tea. For real. Like, shout out to green tea. Just tea in general. Not any iced tea, but warm tea all day. <laughs> Wait, why not iced tea? I cannot stand Are you from this time? I am not. I'm from Detroit, Michigan. Oh. Three, wet three all day. Yes. That's so, why. That is, that is why. <laughs> So, yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> well, yeah, we're wrapping up. So yes. is there anything else that you want to share or I didn't ask about that you'd love to talk about? Um, I just wanted to say thank you, you know, for the opportunity. And thank you for pushing me because I was definitely on the fence about backing out about it. But um, that this is a great topic that I'm glad I did hit on. And, um, you know, if you need the help, it's OK to say that you're not OK. I know that connections goes by that. And I love that quote so much. Um, it's okay. You don't have to be perfect all the time. I mean, it's okay if you need to sometimes just scream and just cry it out sometimes, you know, but biggest thing is just kind of getting back up and just keep pushing through. Yeah. Well, I'm so glad that you were here today and talked about this because like we said, it's not an easy topic, but Mm -hmm. it's something that people need to hear about and you did an amazing job. So thank you so much. So round of applause for Adri. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) No, I'm so glad you didn't back out really. Like it was great. Um, So yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Connection Chat Podcast. Be sure to follow our podcast on your platform of choice to receive updates on our latest episodes. If this episode resonated with you, please share and start the conversation with your network or support system. And together, we continue to break through the stigma surrounding mental illness.